This podcast is produced by KPP Financial. Steve Peasley, President. KPP Financial. Independent thinking, shared success. And now today's podcast. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome to Invest Talk. This is our Thursday, December 3rd, 2020 edition of Invest Talk, and we are kicking into high gear for the holiday season. And I appreciate you all tuning in for this hour. I'm going to do my best to decipher for you uh, the the market news and the information and perspective uh, that you need to make proper decisions with your money, uh, both on the saving side, which is underappreciated, but also the investment side as well. And that's what I'm here to do is provide you with unbiased answers to try to navigate you through this uh, very interesting environment, right? Where we have markets, their highs, unemployment is still high. You have many businesses struggling. Uh, you now have a potential shutdown here in California, it looks like, by the end of the month, Likely the uh, entire state will be have sta- a stay-at-home stay order once, according to government, go- Governor Newsom, that 15% of ICU bed capacity is reached, and that should happen in most areas within a week uh, and in all areas by the end of the month. So very interesting news that caused the market sell-off near the end of the day, uh, but it just goes to show you that while positive news about a vaccine is certainly nice, uh, does that ultimately result in an economy that's back to normal, economy that's healthy, both short-term, medium-term, and long-term? And you can point to budget deficits, the dollar. There's a lot of unprecedented events, not just in the real world, but in the market as well. So I'm Justin Klein, and on this program and podcast today, I'm going to do my best to provide you with unbiased answers to your finance and investment questions and help you develop strategies, decipher what's happening out there to make better investment decisions. So quickly, let's check in on the market today. We had, like I said, a sell-off near the end of the day, but the S&P only closed down about two points. You had the Russell 2000. That was actually up about 10 points, modest up day there. Uh, and on the NASDAQ, that was up about 27 points, about two-tenths of 1%. So very, very modest up day um, in, the, in the market, just grinding higher. Really, on, on no major news, uh, which is kind of shocking to me. But there are a lot of opportunities. Commodities are doing very well. The weakening dollar, dollar reached another multi-year low. And guess what? I think there's much, much further to go. And this is going to be a tailwind for a lot of hard assets uh, and frankly, the market. A weak dollar is actually good for the market. It's not good for your purchasing power. Your real returns are probably negative or not negative, but not as good as it may seem. But that's where we are. Right, We've clearly, clearly divorced the, the market from 
from reality. But that can go on for a long period of time. So you have to understand that as well, that stimulus, government action, can definitely paper over problems, and that's what you've seen over the past six or seven months, and that's no difference today. Now let's get to our first caller question at 888-99-CHART. Hey guys, long-time listener. My name's Adam. I'm unfortunately having to move probably in the early coming of the year, and housing market has just gone up ridiculously, and I'm I'm debating, do I just go ahead and buy because it'll go up more, or should I rent while it goes back down, if it will, but I hate, you know, wasting money renting as well. I don't know, do you think there'll be like a, I know a housing market's not going to have a crash again, but do you think it'll come back down, possibly? Anyways, I appreciate it, and I'll uh, be waiting for your response. Thank you, guys. All right, now, there's a few things I want to unpack with that question. Number one is when people say that renting is throwing away money. I think that is one of the biggest myths that's out there in the finance world. Now, certainly, if you're buying a house for cash, you don't pay interest, right? But 90-plus percent of people who are buying their primary residence are borrowing money. And guess what? When you borrow money, you're renting money, right? So what you have to understand is there's a cost to that money that you're borrowing. Okay, you're throwing away that interest as well, especially early on in a mortgage, right, where the majority of your mortgage payment is going towards interest, not going to principal, not going to equity. Right? So that's first thing. Don't think that renting is necessary throwing away money gives you more flexibility, uh, doesn't tie you to a particular home or area. You can move you know, every year. Right? There's lower maintenance costs. So there are some underappreciated things about renting. And I say when you buy a primary residence, you have to think of it as a utility. If it goes up in value, great. Is that something to consider? Yes. The, the investment side, yes. But too many people make it the primary reason that they're buying a home. Having a home go up in value should never be your primary reason for buying a home. It's a utility. Do you love it? Do you like living there? Are you going to be happy there? Are you going to be able to hold it for a long period of time? And that's the, the answer to your question. Is Should you buy? If you think you're going to stay there for 8, 10 plus years, probably. Right? Because the cost of... Uh, uh, renting or cost of closing on a mortgage, right? Going through potentially a downturn in sometime in the next five, seven years, which is certainly possible. You have to be able to ride through that. So you're not selling the bottom, right? You're not caught in a situation where, oh, I want to move, but I'm underwater or it's a bad time to sell. So that's anybody right now. You want to buy a home? Make sure you have a long-term time horizon for that particular home. Don't think about, oh, am I going to make money on this home? Think about, what is the utility? Can I afford the monthly payments? And am I holding it long-term? And I think in near-term, and this it's different between regions, inventory is too low. What happens with the housing market, I think, is entirely predicated on government action. Housing prices are a political utility, just like stock prices are now. And so governments are going to step in and do what they can to try to stave off 
housing crash, stock market crash. And that's where we're at right now. At the end of this year, there's supposed to be a moratorium. The moratorium on foreclosures and evictions are supposed to be up. Well, I'm sure I have the stimulus package that they're talking about is to extend that. Right? How long does government extend the foreclosure moratorium? Meaning all those seven plus million people that are on forbearance for their mortgage, it's extended out longer. It means those people don't go into foreclosure. Don't, they don't get added to the housing supply that's out there for sale. So it's really all about what government action will be. Just like the Fed pushing mortgage rates down, flooding that money, that, that market with cash, and that's why you can borrow at sub 3% rates right now. You're listening to Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein. And there's no denying it, things are unpredictable because of the pandemic. And while we adjust to a new way of celebrating the holiday season this year, we should remind everyone the task of building a financial freedom must continue. So this goal requires information and effective strategies that I'm here to help you with. So your participation is an important part of the mix. We're taking your calls live at 888-99-CHART. Look at the calendar. It's December, and the markets have been interesting. So you've got finance and investment questions for Steve and Justin. The InvestTalk phone lines are open, and your calls are welcome now. InvestTalk, 888-99-CHART. Now, my focus point today concerns the story four flags that will make getting a mortgage you want difficult uh, in a very low interest rate environment. Whether you're refinancing or buying, there are some certainly important check marks that you need to check off before applying for a mortgage to make sure you're getting one, especially in this environment. I know everyone says rates are low, but it's been actually harder to get a mortgage. So we're going to touch on ways to make sure that you're set up to take advantage of these low rates. Also, there's a recent bill that passed through Congress that is expected to be signed by President Trump in regards to Chinese companies and their auditing. And so I think that's something to look at and make sure that we're cognizant of, right? That uh, when you're investing in Chinese companies, there's, this is a potential, there's always been a lot of red flags, but certainly with more legislation coming down the pipeline could impact the price of these equities. So we're going to get into that. Also, telemedicine. I want to go over that, what the pandemic has ushered in, what the opportunities are in telemedicine. And I think that's something everybody should be aware of. Uh, There's a lot of opportunity, not always in the big names that you would think, but certainly some smaller names that I think are very attractive in this market. So we're going to discuss that industry as well. Now let's keep the pace moving forward and go back to the Invest Talk Voice Bank for a question that came in earlier at 888-99-CHART. Hey, Stephen Justin. I had a question about Dexcom Inc., symbol DXCM. I'm looking at it, and I see that they've been growing their earnings for the past few years, projected to grow it in the future. I've actually purchased it around $400 a share recently, but it's taken a dip down to 318 today. I'm looking to add to this position because I kind of bought a half position, 
initially, uh, kind of targeting around a $300 mark at the moment, but I wanted to know your thoughts on this stock, on that kind of price target for $300 to add to my position there, as well as uh, your kind of prediction for the stock going forward in the future and if it's a good place to be in, especially kind of it being a, a healthcare company and diagnostics and research and mainly in the diabetic glucose monitoring era. I will be looking forward to hearing your thoughts on the show. Thanks. I was looking at Dexcom Incorporated, and he's correct. They do produce glucose monitoring systems, which serve as an alternative to traditional blood glucose meter processing. And it's been growing. He's correct. It has been growing pretty consistently for a period of time. It was losing money all the way up until 2018 when it finally made uh, $0.37 cents in profit. This year, it's expected to be $3 in profit. Next year, $3.37. The problem is it's trading for $344 a share. Very, very expensive. Based on forward earnings, you're talking about 100 PE, north of 100. And enterprise value to revenue at... 17, remember I, Remember last week? 10 times enterprise value to revenue and 20 times. This is coming off of 20 times, right? It's down from its 52-week high by about 24%, which was $456. Now we're at $344. So technically, it's relatively weak. This is a growth name that is extremely overvalued, extremely overvalued. So I have a, I have a value around 150 Dollars per share. Now we're at 344. So this is definitely not a name I'd be adding to here. It needs to get into a much more reasonable valuation, sub 10 times enterprise value to revenue. That's when I would start to th- even think about it. And one issue here is not only is their rotation now out of these growth stocks that have very high multiples, but the growth has been slowing. Eight quarters ago, revenues were up 53%. And even the fourth quarter of last year, pre-pandemic, was only up 37%, right? And last quarter, revenues were only up 26%. Okay, so these growth names, any, any growth name, when growth starts to slow, valuation multiples start to shrink as well. Ladies listen to Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein. Give me a call at 888-99-CHART. Heard about Riskalyze. It's a brief question and answer form that you fill out online. Steve Peasley and Justin Klein will also get a copy of your responses. They can use the Riskalyze results to help you formulate a strategy that fits your investing risk tolerance. Learn more anytime and take the Riskalyze quiz at investtalk.com. Let's go to Clayton in Georgia, looking at Boeing. Uh, hey, Justin. Good talking to you. I've listened to you for a long time. Thoroughly enjoyed the show. So I flipped Boeing earlier this year, and I have a position currently at 25 shares, one dollars cost average. And now you know, selling it, but I want to hold it long-term, so I'm kind of in the middle of taking profits now and waiting for it to drop below 200 to buy again. What are your thoughts? Well, you're kind of getting cute here. You said you want to hold it long-term, then I wouldn't sell it. Uh, if you're a fan of the company at these valuations, 
and you think they're going to work out of the pandemic as well as the uh, 737 Max issue, then you want it, hold it. Um, then, then I wouldn't get cute with it. I would just hold it. Yeah, but yeah, they, they, European countries had a large order. That's you know the the news that they said. That's what made mm-hmm. it jump. So yeah, I guess I'll just just continue to hold it. Yeah, I mean, uh, personally, I, I'm not a fan of Boeing, especially at these prices. I think they've been mismanaged for a while. Uh, they have a ton of debt now that that's going to weigh down their their business. Uh, and, and I I think longer term, while leisure travel will continue to get back to normal, I think relatively quickly, business travel is going to be going to be cut for I think for the foreseeable future, maybe ever, right? It'll never get back to those levels that we saw pre-pandemic. And that is going to impact flight paths and routes and profitability for airlines and the number of planes they're going to need. And so to me, I, I'm just not a fan of Boeing, especially after these levels. I think they still have issues with uh, the 737 MAX that uh, you know just has been mishandled, clearly. So uh, I'm not a fan of the management, the balance sheet, and the longer-term prospects for the industry. That Boeing has uh, historically had good products, uh, and they had kind of a duopoly in the industry, which is typically good. Uh, but just at these valuations, only expect to make a dollar thirty, dollar sixty-three next year. Even if they get back to 2017 levels of twelve dollars a share, it's still you know about market average, which would be a, a, an uphill climb from here to make those profits. So. Uh, to me, I wouldn't be holding long term, but if you like it, I wouldn't get cute with it. Thanks for the call, Clayton. My focus point today concerns the story four flags that will make getting the mortgage you want a little difficult. So we know that mortgage rates remain, even though rate to the 10 year has gone up to what? What are we at? Close to 1%? It was down a couple basis points today, 92 basis points on the 10 year. Typically, the 30 year mortgage is about Two to two and a half, two and a half. Sorry, two hundred to two hundred fifty basis points higher than the ten year. Right now, we're about the two hundred mark. So, thirty-year uh, mortgage rate is very cheap, and uh, I'm sure a lot of you are thinking about buying, thinking about refinancing, and that's well and good. But there are some red flags that can cause you to be denied, and the first is stable unemployment. Stable employment, excuse me, and lenders want to see that you are going to make that payment. And the best way that they know how, based on history of millions of mortgages given out, is earnings history and consistency of your job. That you've had the job for at least two months and it's been in the same industry. That's another thing people uh, underappreciate is if you're moving industries, they don't look at that kindly. right? So if you've changed jobs a lot over the past year, you've changed industries, that can be a red flag to lenders and ultimately lead to a denial. So if you're thinking about moving jobs and you want to refinance, even if you are going to be employed in the, in the near future, make sure you get that refinancing done. And then next they look at your DTI and there's two types of DTI. One is front end DTI, which is simply mortgage payment, taxes, insurance compared to your total income. And that should be a less than 28%, 28% 
right? Total amount of the cost of carrying that particular home. And then there's the back end, which is adding not only the housing costs, mortgage costs, et cetera, but other bills, car payments, student loans, et cetera. That should be lower than 43% to make sure that you get uh, approved. Those, uh, those are good metrics to, to look at. And then credit score is clearly important. If you're below 620, it's going to be pretty hard. Now, FHA has some loans. If you can get as low as 500 credit score, um, but that can be difficult as well. So uh, make sure that you get that credit score up. And then lastly, if your down payment's too small, you can still get a loan three, three and a half percent down. But I encourage everybody, if you don't have 20% down, you probably shouldn't be buying a home. Well, you shouldn't. You don't want to pay the PMI. Uh, you should just be saving more and more consistently. Now, in the next Invest Talk, can you plot your timeline to a $1 million net worth? Stock market is one of the greatest wealth building tools that have ever existed, as long as you follow a few key rules. That story tomorrow, but for now, I'm Justin Klein. I'm ready to take your questions live at 888 chart Now is a good time to call Invest Talk. Do we have a disadvantage, us investors, on the West Coast as opposed to the people that are closer to the action? They're right there in New York. And what's your question? 888 chart is how to reach Justin right now on Invest Talk. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It is official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. At this point, I think almost everyone has heard how generative AI promises to bring us to the next industrial revolution. AI is already shaping society with an impact on daily life that echoes the transformative significance of electricity or the Internet. As we take steps to embrace the potential of generative AI, we need to remain vigilant with regard to its exploitability. This is where HackerOne comes in. HackerOne's AI Red Team addresses the novel challenges of AI safety and security for businesses that are launching new AI deployments. The HackerOne approach involves targeted offensive testing by harnessing the collective skills of ethical hackers who are proficient in AI and prompt hacking. In short, AI red teaming is the practice of stress testing AI models and deployments to make sure they can't be tricked into providing information beyond their intended use, and that security flaws can't be exploited to access confidential data 
or systems. HackerOne seamlessly integrates with your existing tools to enhance communication and collaboration across development, security, and IT teams. So, stay ahead of the game in the battle against cyber threats with HackerOne's attack resistance platform. Learn more at HackerOne.com. That's H-A-C-K-E-R-O-N-E.com. HackerOne.com. Let's take a quick look at your financial to-do list. At the top, make that phone call to the Invest Talk Anytime listener line. Steve Peasley and Justin Klein will provide unbiased answers to your questions. Invest Talk, 888-99-CHART. Let's go to Saeed in Oakland looking at Pfizer. Yeah. Yeah, hi. Uh, yeah, I'm looking at uh, Pfizer right now. Hello? Yes. You hear me? Okay. Um, uh, Pfizer, you know, the vaccine news is out, you know, but the stock is going down. So what do you think about Pfizer? Well, you're talking about today, the stock going down? Yeah. And well, the, the main too. news was it looks like uh, about half of the 100 million doses that they were to, they were producing uh, didn't meet their standards. So it looks like they're going to have to reproduce some of those. So uh, that's why the stock was was down today. Is I don't think a lot of people are pointing that to is why the market sold off. I think it has a lot more to do with the California stay-at-home order, orders because you know if the vaccine gets delayed two weeks, that's not going to really impact uh, the overall economy uh, too dramatically. So I, I think this was very specific to Pfizer. Uh, the bigger question is, is Pfizer the one you want to invest in, right? Pfizer talking about a vaccine, and this is going to be relatively small in the grand scheme of things compared to their the rest of the revenue, right? They do $12 billion in revenue per quarter. And so that's that's the main question. I, I like Pfizer as, as a company, um, but that's not why it's down. It has nothing to do with positive uh vaccine news it's slightly negative but not enough to change an overall thesis on Pfizer so it's still a good uh, to hold. yeah I mean I think it's fine uh, it's not in my top 100 stocks that I have on my watch list but uh, you know it's okay uh, evaluation is decent uh, there's certainly they have patent cliff uh, uh, potential patent cliff issues as well as pressure from Governments on drug prices. I think that is a bigger worry when I'm when I'm uh, looking at Pfizer. I I don't look at Pfizer for the vaccine. To be honest with you, it's it's going to be so small from a profit perspective in relation to their total business that that's not the play for me. If I'm pl- if I'm playing one, I rather own Moderna. Right? Uh, I'm not saying to buy it. They're still losing money, but they're expected to go from a dollar seventy-seven in loss this year to $6.41 in profit next year because of uh, the vaccine. So that's, to me, a better a better play. Not to say I would play it, but if I'm playing the vaccine side, that's the way I would look at it. Don't look at Pfizer as a pure play vaccine because it's not. It's one small part of a giant company. Thanks for the call, Saeed. 8899 chart, 8899242780 is how you get through and ask your question on today's show. I urge you to get your call in sooner rather than later. We have about 20 minutes left in the show. 
but you can always give us a call live four to five Pacific time each and every weekday or leave a message after hours and we will answer it on the next show. But let's touch quickly on the new bill that I guess it's not new. It passed the house unanimously on Wednesday, but this was something that was passed in the Senate in May. And it's expected to be signed into law by President Trump before he leaves office in January. And this new legislation is going to force some Chinese companies who list on U.S. exchanges to accelerate maybe their migration off of exchanges or to basically live up to the standards of all other companies that are listed on exchange. I don't think, why, know why this is controversial. Happy it passed. And I think it will continue with its momentum. Now, we've seen a lot of accounting fraud from these Chinese companies like Luck and Coffee, but that has not deterred a lot of investors from investing in big Chinese companies, even though they can't really trust their books, right? Alibaba, JD.com, etc. The combined market cap of, more, of the 200 plus U.S. listed Chinese companies not only is up 53% this year, but now has topped over $2.2 trillion, $2.2 trillion in value. And the SEC is working on a proposal that may allow some of these companies to maybe not have to be fully audited by U.S. Uh, accounting standards and accounting bodies. But there hasn't really been much negotiation with the Chinese Securities Regulatory Commission. So there's while the SEC is open to kind of a negotiation here, it doesn't seem like China wants to really engage. Right? Because basically saying, hey, we're willing to do it, we're willing to say, okay, we'll review your books and have the Chinese accounting firms do the auditing. Whereas this bill is basically saying U.S. audit, these companies need to live up to the U.S. audit standards. Now, certain companies like state-owned Chinese companies are less likely to share their data with U.S. regulators. Their excuse is, hey, you're going to steal our proprietary information, which, you know, doesn't really make sense. But those are the companies and smaller companies who maybe maybe have trouble listing on Hong Kong exchanges, for example. They're too small. They will be affected the most. Okay, So state-owned Chinese companies and smaller Chinese companies. Some are actually delisting already. Not delisting, but dual listing. right? Listing in Hong Kong. And many will just delist themselves because they don't want to live up to the standards. And to me, that's a big red flag. That's why I avoid these Chinese companies. Let's go to John in San Jose. Looking at, wants to talk about Blockbuster Video. Yeah, hey, Justin. Um, question, question regarding Blockbuster. Okay. This has gone bankrupt, what, about seven to ten years ago? I don't even remember. It's been a while, yeah. Wonder why it's still trading. Um, 
you know, I'm, I'm hearing that there might be like a guy out there, it's called a money or a market maker that buys up the shares and then he uh, just resells them. But where uh, is this? Left, and I'm just kind of wondering. Are you looking at like a, a trading on the pink sheets? Yeah, it's either, either that or OTC, right? Yeah, OTC, yeah, pink sheets. Uh, yeah. BLIAQ, it looks like. Uh, yeah, I mean, there there are plenty of these entities uh, that are trading for next to nothing. This is trading for half a penny per share. Last uh, last trade. Uh, I I haven't looked at this in a long long time. It's delisted, so um, I don't know what what are you looking to buy it or what's your what's your main question? No, no, I'm I'm actually selling it. I've owned this for like the last ten years, and I'm just dumping it. But I'm I'm wondering why would someone buy my shares? Well, there could be some underlying assets that the entity may own, right? Uh, for example, the the rights to the name, right? The IP around the Blockbuster logo to sell on T-shirts. You know, I don't I don't know. I'd have to look into it. But uh, bankrupt companies can still have assets and still be worth something uh but rarely they're worth much at all so you know i don't know exactly i haven't looked into this to be honest with you but there's certainly a possibility that there's some small value left in the business and that's all i could really say thanks for the call now you've heard steve and i say that we get invest talk listener questions from all over america and all over the world actually but here comes a question from Pittsburgh. Hey guys, this is Bill from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Uh, love the show. I'm looking at Workhorse, symbol WKHS. It's ran up a lot because of the EV fever, but I just don't know if it's going to pull back, you know, 90%. Is it going to go up another 90%? What do you guys feel about the uh, EV sector right now and all these SPACs and everything coming out? Um, I'm invested in a few, but I'm uh, looking forward to the future. Thanks for taking my question. Talk to you guys soon. All right. I think this, there's a lot of hype around this space, around the electric vehicle space, um, and, and SPACs in general. Uh, now, some SPACs make sense, and the companies they're purchasing are good, solid companies with a bright future. Uh, others are just hype vehicles. Uh, so you really have to do your research on them. But this one is a company that still has very minimal revenue. And you're talking about 600000 not $600 million, $600,000 in revenue last quarter. Now, they're still expected to lose money next year, trading at $2.7 billion market cap. Uh, it's made a lower high here. I, you know, I'm, I'm not a fan of this. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not messing with this. Uh, I, I'm looking for... I'd rather buy the components... Uh, to me, the automotive industry in general is very competitive. Very competitive. It's one of the lowest margin, lowest return on invested capital businesses that are out there. And yes, EV adoption is, is increasing, but it's still very small. Certainly there's more. It's going to grow. There's going to be more government incentives. I definitely agree with that. Uh, but who's going to make the most profit? And to be honest with you, I think it has to do with companies that build underlying components, have the resources, 
rare earth resources. I've talked about copper before. That's a good area. Um, things that go into building these cars, right? The picks and shovels, right? As, as a analogy that go into purchase or producing these vehicles. So those are the companies that are going to make, I think, the most money from this space. Because so far, it's been very, very, EVs have been negative profitability for most companies. Look, look at the history of Tesla. You know, they have the most market, they have the most share of that market. Historically, they've been very unprofitable. And I don't think it's going to change with many other companies. So I think it's a lot of hype and focus on other areas that go into the production of these vehicles. Let's go to John in Montreal. He wants to talk about cryptocurrency. Hi. Thanks a lot for uh, what you guys do. It's, uh, it's, it's fantastic. Great, great stuff. Keep it up. Appreciate it. My uh, question has to do with cryptocurrency mm -hmm. and reallocating my overall portfolio um, and having more exposure to cryptocurrency. I got in, uh, right now, it's only about 2%, and I'm looking to potentially increase it, uh, dollar cost averaging in the next short while, to maybe 10 to 15% of my overall portfolio with a portfolio of cryptocurrencies. And, and my thinking is that when we look at the U.S. dollar, uh, we look at it being devalued. We look at there's a all, I think it's called the, the Banking for All Act, which is mandating banks to have a digital wallet uh, available. We look at Paul Tudor Jones and the hedge funds and the, and the, uh, the, the, the Ameritrades, et cetera, et cetera, all it's Square and PayPal, all getting into the game. Um, I, as, as an as a investment, um, Actually, my small little portfolio of crypto has outperformed everything else. I got in at around $3,000 on Bitcoin and Ethereum, etc. Now I'm trying to say, should I increase that portfolio and reduce exposure to some other uh, uh, elements that I have in my portfolio? And I'm looking at maybe 15%, maybe even higher. I'd, I'd appreciate your thoughts. Well, I, I think that's too high uh, it, for, for my my taste uh mine is closer to where you're at around the two percent mark or actually closer to one percent uh in my exposure and to me i think that's plenty uh there's still a lot of issues and i understand what you're saying that the, the potential continued adoption of uh cryptocurrencies uh, but i see also the technological issues from security uh, as well as will governments allow it I think that's, to me, the, my biggest question mark. And will government sit by the wayside and allow these currencies to get in on their game, right? Just look what the government's doing right now with printing and spending trillions of dollars. Do they really want to? Will they forever just allow this adoption to continue and them to get, uh, you know, basically crowd them out when it comes to the currency. They want to control the currency. We're just looking at history. This isn't conspiracy. This is, this is just history. Governments want to control their money and the money that's being spent within their borders. So 
will there be a cryptocurrency? Yeah, but I, honestly, I think it's going to be more controlled by governments than allowed to just exist out there in the ether like Bitcoin or Ethereum. So that's my issue with going that high, 10, 15% of my net worth in my portfolio. Is having a small percentage good? Yes, I think everyone should have a small percentage. My advice? Not to go that high because I see the risks. But if it does play out, I'll have enough to where it's worthwhile. So that's my take on the crypto space. Now, from time to time, I set aside a few moments to mention that here on, here on Invest Talk and at my company, KPP Financial, we operate with a philosophy of independent thinking and shared success. Our goal is to provide you with unbiased guidance and practice parallel investing, meaning we invest right alongside our clients. So I encourage you to take advantage of our free portfolio review offer via telephone, Skype, or Jive meetings and send us a message through investtalk.com. These are no obligation appointments. Now we're heading into a break, our final break, in fact, but our phone lines are open and waiting for you at 888-99-CHART. What a difference a year makes. You've got finance and investment questions, and Justin Klein is here now, taking your calls live. Invest Talk, 888-99-CHART. Let's go to Edgar in San Diego. Let's talk about short-term corporate bond funds. Yes. Hi, Justin. How are you? Doing well? You looking to invest in yeah, one I or you own one? No, I don't own at some uh, portfolio, and I was looking at that bond, and I'll find another of short-term. I was wondering, what I'm having a tough time hearing you, Edgar. Why don't you do this? Why don't you? Why don't you? Why don't you? Why don't you just? Why don't you hang up? Call right back, and we'll get you back in the air. Hopefully, your connection will be. Uh, fixed. Now, lastly, I want to get to the dawn of digital medicine. Right, the there's been a lot of a lot of aspects of the pandemic that I think are going to stick long term. But to me, the number one is digital medicine. Not only has the medical field lagged drastically behind other industries when it comes to digitalization, I'm talking about travel, retail, even packaged goods, right? The process of producing those things. I've become a lot more digitized over the past 20, 30 years than healthcare has. 70% of hospitals still fax and mail patient records. How bad is that? Now, doctors have started to embrace this digital communication and the analytics that go with it, very common in other industries. And patients are even growing comfortable with using computers to help diagnose and treat their symptoms, even apps that do it. Now, according to McKinsey, 
telemedicine, online pharmacies, wearable devices, and so on will rise from $350 billion last year to $600 billion in 2024. That's about a, what, 25% year-in-year growth? So demand for digital medicine is surging. Video consultations in Europe have shot up this year from 1,000 a day to 100,000 a day. Think about that. Well, certainly there's going to be some retrenchment once we reopen. People prefer in-office, but I think there's going to be a portion of medicine that remains more efficient, more effective. Digital. Even Apple has is looking at developing a standard for this information. And you have China, you have India, and even the EU promoting electronic standards that go well with telemedicine. So I think it's a trend that is going to continue and very important to follow and invest in. Let's go to Edgar in San Diego. Let's go back. Are you connected? Yes, I am. There we go. Uh, Short-term corporate bond funds. Shoot. Yeah, I am. I'm trying to add bonds in my own, and I'm thinking. Yeah. I'm sorry, Edgar. I'm sorry, Edgar. I cannot hear you. <laughs> You're going to need to hang up, find a different place, call up, uh, leave a message on uh, 888-99-CHART. We can answer it on the next show. Your connection is just not up to snuff. So, sorry about that, Edgar. Well, I guess that wraps it up for today. I appreciate you all tuning in to this edition of Invest Talk, and I'll return on Monday. Steve Peasley will be here tomorrow with highlights from the newest KPP Premium newsletter. In the meantime, remember you can always listen to our archived podcast, 100 of them, in fact, over at iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play, as well as investtalk.com. And please be sure to rate and review. We appreciate that feedback. It will help more and more people find our show, and that means we can help more and more people, and we get more great callers. We always love those great calls. If you want to listen live, you can always do that as well. Streaming live on investtalk.com, 4 to 5 Pacific time, each and every weekday. Just click on the Listen Live button. Independent thinking, shared success. This is Invest Talk. Good night. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them specifically. Nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell securities. Such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor, which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461. Steve Peasley is President and Justin Klein Chief Executive Officer of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial. 
And they thank you for listening and welcome your comments or questions on our 24-hour listener line at 888-99-CHART. 888-99-CHART. 